Welcome to The Adapter's Advantage, the podcast that shares insider stories about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Get ready for an inspiring conversation about adapting to change from Alego, the all-in-one sales enablement platform built for success in a hybrid world. Let's dive right in. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and I want to welcome you to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, I'm excited to have as my guest, Ben Zander, the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. Some of you may recognize Ben from his TED Talk, which is one of the top TED Talks of all time, viewed by more than 20 million people. Before we jump right in, let me read a little bit of his background to help set the stage for you. Since 1979, Benjamin Zander has been the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic, and he's known around the world as both a guest conductor and a speaker on leadership. And he's been known to do both in a single performance. He uses music to help people open their minds and create joyful harmonies that bring out the best in themselves and their colleagues. His provocative ideas about leadership are rooted in a partnership with Rosamond Stone Zander, with whom he co-wrote The Art of Possibility. A leading interpreter of Mahler and Beethoven, Zander is known for his charisma and unyielding energy and for his brilliant pre-concert talks. The London Sunday Times said it best, he's arguably the most accessible communicator about classical music since Leonard Bernstein. Zander moves audiences with his unbridled passion and his enthusiasm. So let's get started. When people ask you the question, so what do you do? <laughs> what do you say? Well, if, if somebody asked that question, and I don't remember that anybody ever did, but if somebody asked me that question, I would say, I'm a teacher. Fundamentally, I'm a teacher. I feel that everything I do, whether it's conducting or rehearsing or speaking or coaching or interacting with people or answering emails or whatever it is, it always comes under the heading of teaching. And I think teaching is the sacred role that we have as human beings. We all have that role, whether we're, uh, we have a small dog or small children or a classroom full of people or an orchestra or a company. So in a sense, everything we do is teaching. And it's interesting that the word maestro, which is the word that they use for conductors, which yeah. sounds yeah. very grand. Yes. Uh, and very important and male actually simply means teacher. And every elementary school teacher in, in Italy is maestro or maestro. So I think that keeps us from getting too grandiose and too self-important, standing on a podium, looking down at our charges. Rather, our role is to illuminate, to engage, to teach, to enable people to be the best they can be. And I see that as a not only a daily task, but literally the task of every minute of the day. So let's pivot to the TED Talk for a minute, because that was my first exposure to you. I have spent um, much of my adult life studying communication experts. I've been fascinated with the topic. And the part that was so amazing to me when I got to meet you in person was, I wasn't sure if that was just a, the capturing of lightning in a bottle, if you will, that moment in California, in front of that audience, like if somehow you, everything just conspired and it was magic, or if you were someone that could do that on an ongoing basis. And, and when we met, 
I saw that, wow, you do it over and over again. My question is, what do you think it is with over 20 million views about that performance, that video from 2008 that has resonated with so many people around the world? And I read recently, and is a huge hit in China now too. What is it? Well, of course, it's different for every person, and I wouldn't presume to know what it is that that struck the chord with that person. But I'll tell you something. If I if I do this, let me sit, just sit for a moment at the piano. If I do this. Say there isn't a single human being that isn't touched by that. Yeah. And you've got to put them in a frame of mind so they're not making a lot of noise or thinking about winning a, a game or something like that. You've got to put them in a calm state of mind and then maybe talk about an environment of listening. But then you do this. <laughs> with different chords underneath yeah. and the miracle of classical music is or music you could say is that it is really universal because there isn't any language that stands in the way of that every single human being so the one of the reasons that talk is so successful is because of the music another reason i think is the premise of that talk is that everybody loves classical music they right. just found out about it yet and that is such a profound idea it's such a grand notion that there is something in human beings that connects us all and that there is nobody who's left out all you have to do is to gather them up and help them and point out a few things and and they'll find out because what's so miraculous about this it goes down to And I can feel it. And I'm not even in the same room. Like I, my own, I can feel, I'll call it goosebumps, like emerge in my body. And so when, none of yeah. the other TED Talks have that language to play with. Right? So I never thought, I mean, that's a big idea. What, what you just said. And Ben, you, you've talked about this, uh, the notion that, that music generates emotions that release the human experience. I loved the way you, you said that and you just demonstrated it. So my question is, um, when you think about engaging people, realizing that you, you can't always use music to do that, what is it in your mind, having spent so much of your life doing this, how does music transcend in a way that even words don't to connect with us in our bodies that does have this release that, uh, that a, almost no other medium has? Yeah, it's a kind of a mystery, but it is, but it never fails. Look, if I let's say you're in a gloomy mood and you're feeling down, 
and you're feeling uh, put upon, and suddenly. Because Beethoven, who was going completely deaf at that point and was suffering illness and, and all sorts of difficulties, he still was able to say. And it's a very simple thing. This is a C major chord. There are three C major chords. They rise up. And as they go up, they make you feel more energized and more excited and more willing to take on the world. And the job of the performer is to make sure that you don't play but you play it with fire and with energy and with direction and with shape and so like that. And yes. then everybody gets wound up and feels the excitement and the intensity of it and so on. It's a wonderful language because it speaks immediately. It doesn't go through the brain. It goes directly through the molecules. My co-founder who attended your first youth orchestra concert described the power of this music when he said he found it amazing how many people with their mask on um, at the start of the concert, not really sure what to expect, spontaneously started weeping yeah. all over the concert uh really describing what you just just what you just talked about that somehow the music just went right through the molecules to their heart and not through their brain well i don't think anybody quite understands how it works or why it works and, and in a way that's good <laughs> you know there's certain things we shouldn't understand yeah. Music is a mystery, why it has the effect. You know, I, I just want to just play a, a phrase for a moment. This is, this is the Adagietto from the Fifth Symphony of Gustav Mahler. And he wrote it as a message, as a, as a love letter to his wife-to-be, his girlfriend, his fiancée. He wrote... <laughs> receiving that message from somebody you love yeah. and what effect it has. There's no way of explaining why that is so powerful. You can write a poem, you can write an essay, you can speak, you can gesticulate, but nothing right. compared to these words. Yeah, no, I, it's so... It's, it's, just, it's amazing. Yeah. And this, this is just on the piano, but if you hear it on the, on the orchestra, yeah. Oh, it's just 
<laughs> and you know, what's so interesting, Ben, as you say that, and it makes me think about even for movies, as powerful as the visual sense is for most human beings, and you're watching the movie, at least I know in my own experience, it's the music that gets me. The music is the thing that, you know, so often brings you, you the most. You often don't notice it, in fact. You just, yeah. you're affected by it. And the thing that I know, and I, I know it deeply, is that everybody can be moved. I've never met anybody who could not be moved by music. And that, and, and they often need some help, like I give in the, in the TED talk. But nobody resists it. It's not as if it's 50% or 70% or 81% or... No, it's 100% of human beings. Now, if you can say that and state that everybody loves classical music, they just haven't found out about it. That's a statement of possibility. And you don't have to prove it, and maybe you can't prove it, but you can say it. And it's a statement of possibility. It gathers everybody around that proposition and it's a beautiful way of being and don't argue with it <laughs> you know, because it livens people up it gets people excited nobody nobody wants to argue with that and um, i had one one very beautiful story i mean this is not relevant to our story but i'll tell you um, i was in england and talking to 500 school administrators and there were five they were all in front of me like this 500 administrators you know there were school heads and, and the, 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 the the vice heads and the buses whatever and i gave my talk and i played and we sang and everything and everybody was responding and with just with full of except for one person absolutely no response nothing he didn't sing he didn't laugh at the jokes he didn't no response so when it was all over, I, of course, I kept on looking at him because human beings are like that. We look. At <laughs> I had 490 people totally wrapped up in this experience, but one was resisting. So I called Roz, my, my, my former wife and, and lifelong partner, and I said, Roz, she said, how did it go? I said, oh, it was great, except <laughs> then I told the man, I said, there was one person who didn't, who didn't respond. And she said, I don't believe it. And I said, Roz, you weren't there. He absolutely <laughs> did not respond. She said, I don't believe it. <laughs> and so that night there was, a, there was a reception and he was there. So I went up to him and I said, you know, I had an argument with my wife today about you because I said you didn't respond at all to the talk. And she said she didn't believe it. And he said, I'm so sorry. I was having a diabetic attack. And I thought that if I stood up or laughed or anything, I would faint. So, but I loved the talk. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> and she was right again right Roz, Roz was living possibility in other words she was living in that model of saying of course everybody loves it. it's like everybody loves nature you know it's not as if some people say i don't like flowers no they just haven't been brought up close you know? such it's so, such so a great animals. point yeah. That you make here, Ben, and, and I want to just reference yeah. the work that you've done with Roz in your book, The Art of Possibility, because I know that uh, when I first read it, 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 it was definitely a mind-expanding book for me, and I will tell you that getting to know you and interact with you, 
I've seen these principles come to life in a way that like anything, it, it needs to be reinforced, but it's a, it's been a powerful virtual virtuous circle for me that you, you see it, you believe in it, you expect it, it happens. And it just, it's, it just sort of builds on itself. So in, in my mind, um, this notion of possibility you've demonstrated, it can be in all different parts of our life. The question that I have is what was the catalyst for someone who was a conductor to, to write this? And um, what, what was the implication as a result of doing it for you? Well, what happened was long before the book, I started talking to organizations and corporate groups and leaders about leadership. And it was based on my experience as a conductor, plus Rosie's experience as a therapist. And I was out in the world talking to people all the time about possibility about leadership, about art, about all sorts of things. And one day I gave a talk and a woman came bouncing up on the stage and said, you've got to write a book. I'm from Harvard Business School Press and we want you to write a book on this subject. And I pointed to Roz and I said, so long as she's included to, to, to do the writing. <laughs> and that's how it happened. It happened after many, many years of being out in the world, teaching essentially, again, it's all teaching. teaching right. uh, and, I, and I got the opportunity to speak to some very, very powerful people. I was a keynote speaker at the World Economic Forum, for instance, where I spoke to 2,500 of the world's most powerful people. And I, and I was brought in to talk to the president of Portugal and uh, IBM and all sorts of, because the model that most corporate uh, organizations work on is the hierarchical model of winning and losing, of uh, success and failure, of domination and, and, and um, that, that model of top-down leadership so they bring in sports people and they bring in generals now suddenly comes a musician right symphony conductor talking not about winning and losing because you don't win and lose in a symphony orchestra but talking rather about the power that the conductor has to give power away to empower others because the conductor doesn't make a sound so it's not about hoarding power it's like spreading it through the orchestra so that the last violinist in the second violin section feels lifted energized excited inspired so that he plays the best that he knows how to play that's the art of leadership through conducting and that turns out to be a more valuable model for most organizations than the traditional top-down one because the top-down one which was what was used in the conducting world until quite recently, which is fear. You dominate, you follow my will. Yes. And that is the model that it was used throughout, you know, the last 75,000 years. Now, suddenly we've, we've embraced and mastered, I think, a new model for leadership, which is to awaken possibility in other people. And that leads me to uh, seeing you at the concert that night in the private corporate event back in 2011. And I had this unique invitation because I got to see you backstage. 
And then I got to see you go front stage. And, and this really helped inform as we wrote this book, Mastering Virtual Selling, that there's this, there's this uh, way of being. And, and what was interesting is that you interacted with people backstage before the concert, then you delivered the, the, the experience and the performance, and then you came backstage and you continued to interact with people and take pictures and chat. And so it was like a continuum. And the takeaway that I had from that was that most salespeople think about what they do from the moment they're in front of the customer until the moment that interaction, whether it's on Zoom or in person ends. And the takeaway I had was there's all kinds of things that you can do, what we're now calling backstage, things you can do before the concert and things you can do after the concert that can actually make the performance, if you will, more effective. So my question is for people who don't come from the music world, what have you learned about the importance of backstage activities to support your front stage efforts? It's interesting you say, what have I learned? I, I, it's more an instinctive thing. Um, one of the things I say to conducting students is everything you do matters. Everything. Right? If you raise your eyebrow, it matters. Right? So if everything matters, you don't have to question whether it matters. So every single interaction, every gesture, everything you say, every the mood, everything you do affects how the thing is going to unfold. I remember a wonderful moment before a rehearsal. I said to my personnel manager, I said, I really hope it's a great rehearsal. And she said, well, it's entirely up to you. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a very good point, because if I come into a rehearsal even slightly dejected or self-absorbed or irritated, I can be sure that the rehearsal is not going to go well. It's going to affect the way they draw the bow across the string. If I come in full of energy and joy and optimism and confidence that they're going to play beautifully, so it comes out. So I know that. And I, and I have, I wouldn't say I learned it. I feel it instinctively. And I think we all have access to that knowledge as a parent or as a friend or as a lover. We know that everything we do affects the other person. Uh, it may be a very small thing, but it has an effect. And so being mindful of how we speak, what words we use, how we address people, tone of voice, energy in the body, vitality in the spirit, all those things will have a direct effect on the quality of the music. And I'm so certain about that, that I don't even question it. Well, it's interesting, as you said that, it occurred to me that if you were to be wearing a mask, so much of the expressiveness and the communication from your face, you, you can't really telegraph that, correct? Well, I have an agreement with my players that I won't wear a mask. And I do a lot of complicated things in order to make that possible. Because for instance, the leader of my second violin section has a seven month old baby, mm -hmm. right? So, and I'm 83 and you know, she doesn't want to be worried if she comes to rehearsal. So not only have I been double vaccinated and boosted, but also before every single rehearsal, I get a test. Somebody comes to my house and tests me so that we can tell all the people in the sure. orchestra. They sure. can be calm and they can be 
but I agree with you that it's very difficult for me to conduct an orchestra of people with masks because I depend on their reaction. Yes. And I can see their eyes, the mirror into the soul or the window into the soul. So I can usually tell how people are doing, but it's the whole human face and body is uh, extremely important in communication. And I think the sooner we get over the COVID restrictions, the better it'll be. And I think maybe we've learned some important things. First of all, how important the face and communication is, we miss it. How important it is to be together, uh, to be in groups. How important it is to hear live music as opposed to music uh, in the, in the, in the, over the internet. I started a series of concerts in my driveway so that people literally in the driveway of my house and people came from far and wide to sit, of course, with masks, but sitting in the driveway, listening just to hear live music. It, it's extremely different than listening to it over the radio or over the, uh, over the internet. And so we've learned, and now here's another thing, which I bet you've never thought of, in concerts that have taken place since the COVID time, you never hear a cough in a concert. Oh, that's so fascinating. Silence. Yes. Miraculous. I mean, to give a concert, which from beginning to end, doesn't have a single noise cough. or emotion, nothing. Yep. You Isn't almost it? wonder how much of it then was like a habit because some people have like, a, <laughs> you know, and 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 now it's almost like in the COVID time, anyone who coughed, there was this immediate sense of like, uh oh, right? So people you don't really have to cough anymore, and that's a wonderful thing because it is. It's a, it's often a reflex reaction, and it's why when you get to the end of a movement, everybody coughs. Why do they need to cough at the end of a movement? <laughs> and now they don't do it. So now. Yeah. Silent, so it's like being in church. It's incredible. So there are all sorts of wonderful things that have happened, and I think most of all, we've learned to value the precious things that we have uh, that are so important for us, and to learn to treasure them and defend them and to behave wisely around them and to support them and so on. So I think it actually has brought out for many people, not for everybody, but for many people, their best qualities, uh, both of generosity and caring and awareness, that we tend to take things for granted. Mm -hmm. So, so true. So true. I do want to go back to the eyes just for a moment, though, because I'm thinking about you up there. I, I'm wearing glasses and, you know, I'm just imagining from 50 feet away trying to see uh, someone's eyes. Uh, where did you come up with the metric of shining <laughs> eyes? Well, I love the way you call it a metric. It's as if it's something mechanical. No, it, I just noticed that when things were working and it, the music was going well, people's eyes were shining. So I used that as my way of knowing whether things were going well rather than um, some other means, because the other means I've developed is to give people a white sheet of paper on their stands. It's called the white sheet, and they can speak freely to me about anything that they are concerned about or upset about or excited about. And, and that is a wonderful tool, and some people use it. The only condition for the white sheet is that they sign. And so I have 
literally thousands of white sheets. I never th throw them away. And over there, I'm going to have to move to a bigger house soon. But anyway, <laughs> the, 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 the white sheet is what I call somewhat mischievously asshole protection, because if I say something inappropriate or stupid or demeaning by chance, if I fell into that, which I virtually never do, but but if I did, yes. I would hear about it. And yes, sure. yes. Somebody. So you're getting direct feedback is your point. Absolutely. And if I get a wrong tempo, I have one woman in my orchestra who actually isn't even a professional musician, but she's very smart about music. And if the tempo lags a bit, as it sometimes does, you know, you get absorbed with details and she'll write down tempo too slow, you know, and, you know, so she, she, the players have a means of communicating with me anything that they feel is not working to the best ends of the project, the best uh, means of achieving the, the result that we want. And that's great. But if they don't write, they still have the shining eyes. And I've developed this very important thing that I will repeat when we have our session, because it's one thing to say it in conversation like this and quite another to say it to everybody. If the eyes are not shining, you get to ask a question. Who am I being that the eyes are not shining? Yes. My player's eyes are not shining. My children's eyes are not shining. My wife's eyes are not shining. My customer's eyes are not shining. Yes. The only place to look is who you're being yourself. And the only person we can transform is ourselves. That's so powerful. And that's going to be a, definitely a theme that I know people are going to love hearing. Um, ben, we started this conversation with you talking about uh, yourself as a teacher. And yet I, I read a beautiful line that you said the, um, the best review that you ever got wasn't yeah, yeah. from a music critic, but from your, your father. What, what is it that he experienced and what did he say about it? It was adorable. And he was a wonderfully imaginative man. And he came to a class that I was giving. And it was one of those long masterclass you know it lasted three hours i think and he was very old and blind 94 i think sitting in a wheelchair and he listened to the whole class and in the end i went over and he said something that to me was the uh, the highest accolade that i could receive in my life he said i see you're a member of the healing profession and it came from the depths of his heart and it stayed with me all this time. He saw something that was not about teaching musical shape or style or history or anything to do. It was about releasing the full potential, the full spirit, the full expressiveness of the people who were playing. And that's the healing profession that that if we can do that for our students, for our children, for our colleagues, for the people who work for us, to release whatever they have the capacity to give, that's the healing process. And music has a unique power to do that. And to be in music is extraordinary. I have many really extraordinary stories there. They're um, apocryphal, not apocryphal, but they're, they're, they can't be proved, you know, but somebody came the other day and said he wasn't feeling well and that they thought maybe they should go home. And I said, well, just play the first half of the rehearsal and then go home. 
And at the end of the rehearsal, three and a half hours later, he came and said, I'm completely cured. I feel fantastic. What happened? They'd worked hard for three and a half hours. Yes. And they'd play great music. So it's so wonderful. Well, let me pivot uh, just as, we, as we're getting ready to wrap up here. Um, so the pandemic happens and some people aren't sure how to react, um, but you made the pivot to virtual. What was your experience in the virtual world like? And, and what have you learned doing a virtual collaboration with conductors from all over the world? Well, I tell you, I have developed a deep love for and respect for the virtual world that I didn't have before, uh, before the pandemic. It's been, in some ways, the richest, the most creative, the most rewarding period of my life has been this last year of the, of the pandemic. I had a very bad accident. I was in hospital uh, for several weeks and I started teaching from my hospital bed and started giving uh, talks. I gave a talk to a corporation of leaders of the fashion industry, you know, people who were the CEOs of major fashion houses. I was lying in my bed. <laughs> and they were just as moved. And I tell you something very interesting, and this is important for you, for your people. When you give a talk to a thousand people in a room, you're very small and they are spread out around. Right. When you're giving a talk on Zoom, it's you and the other person, and that's it, right? Yes. Because your face fills the whole screen, like your face is filling the whole screen now. Yes. So the intimacy and the closeness and the impact that you have over the internet actually is much greater than if you're in a room. Now you miss something, you miss the camaraderie, you miss singing, you miss you know, all the things you can do in a group. But one-on-one -on -one has proved to me. Now what we did with the youth orchestra, very interesting. We, with the youth orchestra, we couldn't play. You cannot play on, on you, you, can't, you can't make music because there's no way of coordinating. And this, it's, to me, it's ridiculous to try. Mm -hmm. But what we did was we turned all the members of the orchestra into conductors. And uh, every Saturday afternoon for three hours, we would sit, I would be in my home uh, with a video camera filming everything. And they would be spread out all over the world, actually. There was people in Korea. There was one student watching at 2.30 in the morning. and. We, I taught them conducting. Now, that doesn't mean to be a conductor, but what does it take to be a conductor? You have to know music, you have to know the instrument, you have to know the interpretation, and you have to know leadership. And so we delved into that. It was all turned into film, and uh, Alfonso, who you just met, has turned it into tw 24 films. It's going on my website, which is coming wow. out this month. It's going to be available to young people all over the world, you know. And then the story of the conductors. Uh, one of my former students asked me if I would do a conducting class on, on Zoom. And I said, how can you teach conductors? There's no music. He said, well, no, you'll find a way. And so I did with, with one uh, conductor, just like you and I now. Yes. Two of us, he would do ba 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 ba, and I would say no no ba 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 ba, and then he got two hundred and seventy four conductors signed up to follow this process, and we're all connected now. And when I give a concert, it's sent out live stream to all these people. I mean, it's just unbelievable, and you can't imagine 
what this, if this pandemic had happened when we didn't have Zoom or we didn't have these connections, it would have been an unmitigated catastrophe. As it turns out, it was an unmitigated breakthrough for humanity. And so we used this opportunity. And for instance, the, the concert on my driveway, which is in this beautiful garden, was filmed and live streamed around the world. One concert, there were people from 22 different countries listening to music in my driveway in Cambridge. Now, wow, not, wow it's right. None of that could have been possible. Right. So, so the thing is, they, they always say this cliche, if one door closes, another one opens. In every situation, in, there is no situation that is so bad that it's not open up. It's not open to possibility. Well, guess what? I, there's a lot more inquiry happening for me. Um, one of them is when you think about the the people that you interact with and, and you talk about the concept of you being a teacher, what do you think is the most important skill that people should learn or improve today? Generosity. I mean, I just invented that this moment is not true. Um, but I think if people would take the generous path, always, the world would shift on its axis, and we would all be more effective. And this has been such a wonderful conversation. If people want to learn more about you, um, what's the best place for them to do that? Or where should they go? Well, I'm very excited by that question because we're just about to launch my website. There's been a website for a long time, but we've just created a new one. It isn't launched yet. But on this website, I, uh, I say to people, you can either wander about here like in a new town or a museum on your own, but if you want a guided tour, I'll be your guide. And so I take the audience through all the different aspects of my life. It's the Boston Philharmonic, the youth orchestra, the, the what happened in COVID, the possibility world. And I take them through as a guide and tell them what to listen for, which pieces to listen for, give them background information so that not only will they know more about me, which is not so interesting, they'll know more about themselves. And that is very important. Now, Ben, I will just tell you one interesting thing that connects the dots that I hadn't fully realized until you explained that is that at Allego, we believe that the way salespeople will sell in the future is literally having a website like what you just described for every customer and the salesperson acts as the guide, the way you just described, helping curate the experience and sharing the, the relevant information and a little background to help the buyer understand. So once again, you're, you're leading the way here of what we see as the future. Great. Beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mission accomplished. You've been listening to The Adapter's Advantage, a podcast from Alego. Stay connected by subscribing to the show at alego.com forward slash podcast, leaving us a rating and comment and sharing episodes you love. That helps us bring you more conversations about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that one new idea can change your life.